Well, I haven't given you a garden report in a long time, so I would start with that this morning. I, like uh, you might remember, our spring was very rainy in between the rain and my work schedule. Uh, I got my garden in very, very late this year and uh, was a little worried that it, it wouldn't have time to do much of anything, but it has reached uh, that point in the last couple of weeks where everything is exploding with growth and it's just taking off. In fact, I'm kind of losing control <laughs> of uh, all the growth. Every time I come out, it seems like the vines have all merged into each other. And we're starting to harvest some vegetables out of it. My, uh, I don't know yet what the, uh, what the actual yield is going to be like, but uh, I'm excited that this year my garden looks good. <laughs> it looks lush, it's healthy, it's green. Uh, all the branches are weighed down with uh, not yet ripened fruits, and so that's very exciting. It's not perfect, but it's a little bit better than previous years. But even if it hadn't been better than the year before, I still regard it as something worth doing. And I regard it that way because of what it makes me do. It's worth it for the experience. I go outside uh, in, the, in the evening when it starts to cool down a little bit. I go outside, maybe feed the chickens, maybe play with the goats a little bit, wander over to the garden, walk around, see what has happened uh, since the last time I, I visited it, smell the tomato vines. There's something about the smell of tomato vines. There's nothing quite like it. Enjoy the lightning bugs coming out in the evening these little moments of nature and beauty reconnect us to God, and they're kind of perfect and wonderful and beautiful, and yet, at the same time, they're so easy to miss. They're so easy to neglect. I get so busy, like, like we so often do. I get so busy with life that uh, sometimes I just forget to notice the way that God painted the sky in the evening, the way the grass this time of year is, is so green, it, it just almost melts your eyes. You forget to notice that God's still doing wondrous things. Probably spend way too much time watching the news. And watching the news, you could forget that God is at work, that he's doing beautiful things, and that he's wanting to do beautiful things in us. My garden this year is a little bit better, and that is the result of now four years of soil building, of adding natural fertilizers, and lots and lots of trial and error. Not to mention talking to gardeners who are native to Missouri and who have shared with me their wisdom. Peter writes to the Christians in 2 Peter. He writes to Christians who are busy. He writes to Christians who have an awful lot on their plate, who are facing some pretty horrendous things, some pretty difficult trials. And we would find it easy to forgive them if they overlooked the nature of God, if they overlooked beautiful things, if they forgot 
to notice what God was doing. But Peter invites them to focus on these greater things. He says in 2 Peter, the opening of his letter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of God and and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace to you in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here's the piece that's really easy for us to forget. Our faith is a precious gift. It is so precious. It is to be held as a treasure. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that in times when we're just not thinking. It's easy to forget that in times when we've just become busy. It's very easy to forget that in times of great difficulty and trial. But our faith, regardless of our circumstance, is a precious gift from God. Sometimes we have to stop. Sometimes we have to slow down and remember, remind ourselves of just how precious it is. Okay, Christianity in our culture over decades has been weakened by this process of reduction in which we have treated Christianity as sort of passive participation in spiritual things. We think, of, we think of Christianity as being a, a moment of decision and some, some moral instruction that we try to abide by and, and going to church. And honestly, e- even going to church used to require more c- commitment of us than it does now. Uh, I, like uh, many of you, I imagine, Grew up going at least three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And that didn't include VBS and gospel meetings and all the other events. The commitment of going to church once upon a time was actually a pretty serious commitment. It required a lot. You had to to leave a lot of time in your schedule for that. Not so much anymore. Around here, we talk about our commitment to faith. We talk a lot about discipleship. But, but what does that even mean, really? What is discipleship? How is it different from this sort of nominal Christianity that has come to dominate our culture? Well, Peter says in verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So here, right off of the bat, the objective of discipleship is a godly life. And here's the extraordinary claim that Peter makes. We already have everything we need in order to achieve it. Everything that we need for a godly life. Godliness, though it is definitely a biblical virtue, is honestly not one that we often think about attaining. In fact, it feels a little arrogant to even presume that we might uh, live a godly life. We say that nobody is perfect, and that's true enough. I'm certainly not. There's so many mistakes I've made, so many things that I wish I, I did and do better than I do now. 
Nobody is perfect, but so often we use that phrase to justify our compromise. We've already given up. We've already given in. I think about it this way. At this point in the gardening season, I've done all of this work, all the planting and all the weeding and everything to to bring all of my garden plants to this point in the journey. My garden is still vulnerable. As a matter of fact, um, we were having a bumper crop of zucchini. I wasn't sure what we were going to do with all the zucchini. And all of a sudden, something killed both of my zucchini plants from underneath. They're just, they just withered and died within a week. They're still vulnerable. They still need protection. They still need work. As the plants get bigger and stronger, they are more resilient. But I still have to be vigilant if I want them to do everything that God created them to do. And I'll be honest with you, it's usually at this point in the season, between the heat and my busyness and just the weariness of having tried to, you know, keep up with the critters and the weeds and the goats and everything else all through the season, this is the point at which I usually go, eh, it's probably good enough. I'll get, I'll get something of a harvest and... Uh, uh, if it's not everything that it could be, eh, just kind of let the plants take over and see what, see what happens. The ideal garden, therefore, is not out of my reach. It's out of my effort. If it doesn't happen, it's largely because I decided to stop trying What we need to understand about a godly life is that it is not unattainable. In fact, Peter says, we already have everything we need in order to live a godly life. Now, humility demands that we own our sinful nature. So we are right when we say that nobody's perfect. We aren't perfect. The weeds keep coming. The the goats keep breaking in. Paul even says, you know, know, that famous passage, he says, what I want to do, I I somehow don't get around to doing. And what I don't want to do, I end up doing that very thing. This is the story of our lives. We have a sinful nature. And because we have a sinful nature, passivity is our enemy. If we just sit back and watch and see what happens, Things will go wrong because our nature is going to naturally take us in the wrong direction, take us to the wrong place. But Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How is that even possible? Peter says it's possible through the knowledge of Christ. It's possible through forgiveness. It's possible through grace. It's grace that allows us to be perfect now, it is, this, this series is about the authentic journey. It is inauthentic, as it was with the Pharisees. It is inauthentic to pretend that we are better than we are, that we are more righteous than we really are. Um, if we look around our culture right now, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Um, there is more than enough moral superiority to go around. I know it's Christians 
that are supposed to be looking down their noses at everyone else. But right now, if you're on social media, everybody's looking down their nose at somebody. Everybody stands in judgment of somebody. It is inauthentic for us to pretend that we are morally superior, to pretend that we are better than we are. And generally speaking, I find that Christians don't. We know that we're not perfect. I don't find most Christians even pretend to be perfect. But here's the thing. It is equally inauthentic for us to pretend we cannot rise above what we have been. Authenticity demands that we reject the inevitability of sin. And the inevitability of sin is one of the most pervasive and dangerous lies in our culture right now. It's this lie that we cannot rise, that purity and character and virtue are literally too much to expect of anyone, that we are essentially no different from the world except in that we are forgiven. Understand that forgiveness and the grace of God is the beginning of the journey, but it is not the journey. We read on, First Peter, or 2 Peter 1, 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you, might, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter says the gospel allows us to participate in the divine nature. Folks, this is one of those spiritually sounding phrases that would be easy for us to just brush over. This is an absolutely crazy, ludicrous, wonderful idea. Through the promise of the gospel, we are allowed to participate in the divine nature. I can trade my propensity for sin for God's propensity for godliness. To put this in perspective, it's like God coming to me and saying, um, I've... I've seen this sort of broken work that you're doing in your garden. I'm going to put you over the Garden of Eden. I'm going to bring you into this divine space. You're not going to have to fight weeds and gophers, and the goats will magically be kept out. That I no matter how good they are at getting in. This is the space that I'm inviting you to enter. We think of we think of uh, you know culture, the culture around us, and, and and a lot of Christians today. We think of discipleship. We reduce discipleship, and and Christianity to sort of doing good. It's all about doing good. We think of going to church as part of that doing good, sort of coming and listening to Doug is sort of the penance that I do for my sins of the past week, and I'll be forgiven uh, because uh, I listened. And if he makes me listen too long, then I didn't sin enough for that. The problem with doing good is doing good is not the same as being good. Being good is when godliness is imbued upon our nature. 
such that it has become not just our choice in the moment, but it has become our inclination. The goodness is our inclination in spite of the fact that we have lived in this world with a sinful nature. We begin this journey of faith, of discipleship, with a sinful nature. We are inclined to defy God. And, and honestly, we're inclined to follow the crowd, to, to seek the approval of others. We tend to follow, if we're just really, really honest, we tend to follow the lead of whoever it is that we're with. And that's why, uh, that's why we spend a lot of our time with other believers. That's why the fellowship is so important, because it reinforces our will to, to do good. That's why we surround our children with positive influences, and we try to limit the negative influences that they experience because we know that they are naturally inclined, just like we are, to do whatever the crowd around them is doing. But we must grow beyond this simple arrangement. See, doing good is not really in our nature And so if we rely on our nature, then what happens as soon as the crowd around us changes, we tend, despite our best efforts and intent, we tend to change. We tend to adapt to that crowd. And so doing good will never be enough. We are so hungry for the love and the acceptance of the world around us that it's, it becomes uh, easy in a sense, for us to deny the love and acceptance that God would like to offer us. It's a terrible trade, but we make it all the time because it's in our nature to do so. To be a participant in the divine nature means that we are given God's power to defy the world, to defy the crowd, to be different even when it costs us, to adopt his nature. As Peter says, to escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. This is the opportunity to rise above, to be transformed by renewal. You see, grace doesn't just bring us forgiveness from our past sins. Grace opens up this incredible wonderful, completely insane opportunity for us to live in the divine nature. Peter goes on, he says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. In other words, Peter says the very best response to this audacious promise is discipline. If godliness is the goal of discipleship, discipline is the methodology. Peter says, in light of this promise, in light of what Christ has made possible, 
sit back and wait for it to happen. No, that's not what he said. He said, make every effort. Make every effort. Now, this runs somewhat counter to how we have promoted faith in recent decades. We have to understand that divine nature is our potential in Jesus Christ, but it is certainly not inevitable. It is not something that will happen without us pursuing it. Divine nature requires that we pursue godliness, that we pursue goodness and self-control and knowledge, and yes, even love. Now, that should be obvious. It should be obvious to us that if there are qualities that we do not currently possess, but still have to pursue them, even in Christ, in order to possess them. But somehow we have come to treat spirituality as an entirely passive pursuit. We go to church and we hope that something rubs off. I hope that something rubs off too. Because around here every week, you can come into this space and we will share the worship of of God. We will share the knowledge of Christ. But we cannot make anyone take it. We can set the table, but if you don't dine, there's really nothing we can do about it. This is like gardening without planting, fertilizing, weeding, or even harvesting. We know in every area of life that virtually nothing worth doing can be achieved without effort. There's this crazy thing that the enemy's convinced us of. Jesus comes before us week after week, and he offers us the divine nature. He offers us transformation. He offers us a new life. And, and what do we say? We say, Jesus, that is so cool. So same time next week, We've, we've heard the invitation. Will we live in response to it? Peter says in verse 8 and 9, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Again, this is not the same thing as forgiveness. This doesn't mean that we, this doesn't mean that, that, that Christians are the same as everybody else except that they're forgiven. This goes well beyond forgiveness. Grace goes well beyond forgiveness. This is growing in the divine nature. It's only through the grace of Jesus Christ that that's even possible to us. These qualities in increasing measure mean that we really know the gift that we've been given. And the alternative, Peter says, is to be ineffective and unproductive. And this is really where the rubber hits the road for us. See, the objective of discipleship is a godly life. The ideal of discipleship is participation in the divine nature. The methodology of discipleship is discipline. 
And the outcome of discipleship is participation in the mission of Jesus Christ. Without intentional effort to adopt the qualities of the divine nature, Peter says, disciples and churches are rendered ineffective. That is frightening to me. Because I do watch the news. And I probably watch too much of it. And I see a world that's breaking, that has been broken for a long time, but seems to be breaking faster than ever right now. And I don't know that I'm effective enough. I don't know that I'm productive enough. I don't know that our churches are are allowed to speak into this culture, to speak truth into it, to address the brokenness and bring about healing. This has to be our wake-up call. We have to hear the voice of the Lord. We have to be powerful and effective in our mission. Verses 10 and 11, Peter says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you'll receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, confirm your calling and your election with directed effort. What does that mean? It means that our immersion into Christ for forgiveness and redemption is a great beginning, but it isn't the journey. We must also immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Folks, we we have to dig deeper. We have to look harder. We've got to do a better job of applying what we read to our lives, to not just our spiritual lives that we've somehow compartmentalized over here, but to all of our life. And if you're not sure how to do that, wow, ask for help. Ask for help. We are blessed here. We are blessed here with great elders, great teachers, people who want to see you succeed in your discipleship, who pray for it, who seek it, who offer you the tools to achieve it, and who are on your side and want to see you make it. I have a, I have a, a new class coming up. And it's a very different sort of class from what we would normally offer. In fact, it's a lot more complex than than what I would normally choose to do for a Sunday school class. But there's so much going on in our world that the scriptures speak to that we need to address, that we need to be informed about how to address. And we decided to sort of bite off a little more than we knew that we could chew and dive in 
and try to understand what's going on. And I think a couple of different things about that. We have such a great group that comes for Sunday school right now, and, and their participation has been fantastic, and, and we love them and appreciate them for that. I would love for the rest of you to come as well and be, be a part of that, to hear that. But then there's also another part of me that says, if you're not ready to dive into the Word and understand from the perspective of the Word what's going on in the world and what we as believers need to do about it, don't come. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We need to immerse ourselves in Christian fellowship. We need to surround ourselves with the people who will help us grow, who will hold us accountable to growth, who will hold us accountable to godliness so that when we are not with them, so that when we are in the crowd, we can still stand firm on our faith because of the connection that we have to the body. And we must immerse ourselves in mission. See, to participate in the divine Participate in the divine nature is to live reflecting the image of God within us, the image of God that was imbued in us in the creation, to live in that space that was once lost to us, that was once too broken for us to even think about achieving, to live and reflect his image. Participation in the divine mission is living in his purpose. There are so many things that we can do with our time in this world. Uh, It is a a vapor, as we talked about in our class this morning. It will pass quickly. There's so many choices, so many options that we have, so many things that we can pursue. I tend to want to pursue all of them. And I have to make choices. I have to set priorities. Because I'll pursue everything and accomplish nothing. The greatest purpose that we can fulfill in our life is living the destiny for which we were created. It's participating in the mission of Jesus Christ to restore heaven and earth after the nature of God and after the law of the kingdom of Christ.